Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us every week. We have been doing a study that I'm calling the Roadmap to Reformation and we are exploring and digging around in the Word of God out of the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. Felt the Lord speak to me this year, and what a tumultuous year it's been, but I felt the Lord spoke to me and made real to my heart some things from these books of restoration. Uh, one thing that I want to say is that there are so many things that, that uh, you know, during this period of Reformation was not always seemingly the most conducive time for Reformation. But right in the midst of Babylonian captivity, the word of the Lord uh, begins to speak, and a man by the name of Nehemiah, whose name means the Comforter, and Ezra's name, who means my Helper, is a picture of the Holy Spirit, what He's doing in the midst of chaos to bring about change. Now before I get into the meat of this again, we have been doing this for several weeks now, and we're going to continue this series, because we have finally got into the Twelve Gates of Nehemiah, and the last couple of weeks we've already filmed some of it. But if you're tuning in for the first time, let me just encourage you that if you missed any of our programs, that you can go to my YouTube channel and watch any of it that you would like on demand. Uh, they are archived there for your viewing, and uh, we also have the audio portions of it on our podcast on iTunes, and there is an RSS feed for your Android device if you'd like to go listen to the audio portions of us and do the study with us. I believe it is important. I believe the Lord's really saying some things to me that helps me wrap my head around some real practical applications to Reformation, Restoration, and this season of restoration that I believe we are in. And uh, while many may be crying the sky is falling, I think what God is saying is that the heavens are declaring something that God wants to do in the earth. Because the point is, even when you look at the comparison between the city of Nehemiah and the city of Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we find that the city of God in the New Covenant is not a place, it's a people. And there are twelve gates in Nehemiah's rebuilding, and there are twelve gates in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the gates are never shut, and the Spirit and the Bride are always saying, Come. And when we realize that the city of God is not heaven someday, it is the Bride, the Lamb's wife, it is the tabernacle of God that is with men. I've already explained that in, in prior segments over and over again, especially in the place where I talked about the tale of two cities. But there's an invitation to come into the city of God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2, because we've already talked about last week, I think we spent several weeks on the dung gate and the dragon well. But I want to re uh, go back and read this from Nehemiah, the second chapter in verse number 12 through 14. It said, I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Note this, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast I rode upon. 
And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port. Now I covered that in the last several weeks, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Here's what I want to get to today. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool. Watch this. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Now I think that sometimes when you take, if you take a look at the picture of ancient Israel in the days of Nehemiah, it will show that the dung gate was at the lowest point of the city. There was a sharp turn headed in the other direction that led towards the gate of the fountain and on up towards the eastern gate. And if I had a picture of this, I, I found one on the web, but I don't have one to show you on the screen today. But if I could show you this on a map of this ancient city of Israel, there's a stark and clear corner that must be turned. The first thing the Holy Spirit put on my heart to share with you this morning is, it's time to turn the corner. Now if the dung gate and the dragon well are the two gates that he comes to first. Remember what I showed you uh, prior in prior uh, segments that we taught, is that the dung gate especially spoke of when the Apostle Paul said, uh, I was born uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. As touching the law, I was blameless. He said, but I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness that is by the faith of Jesus Christ. What the Apostle Paul was saying is, I count all of the stuff that I learned from an old covenant paradigm as dung that I might win Christ. In other words, there has to be a turning away from religious old covenant paradigms. We must discover, as I showed you at the dragon well, that the head of the dragon has already been cut off and that Jesus has already spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. So there's a turning away from and turning the corner from religion. But you see, you know, I wrote a book, as a matter of fact, it's this one right here called From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And I would encourage you to go uh, right now and order this from my website or from Amazon. But what I show in this book is that John the Baptist was declaring the message that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repentance is not just getting saved at an altar, that's included in that idea, but it means the Greek word metanoia, which means to change the way you think, or to turn about, or to turn around. So to me, repentance is not just what you turn from, but it's what you turn toward. And when we're talking about turning the corner here from the dung gate and headed up towards the fountain gate to the king's pool, what you see is which direction do you want to go? Do you want to turn around and go back towards the dung gate? Do you want to go back towards the dragon well? Or do you want to turn and go towards the fountain gate? It's which way you turn. What, what are you turning toward? The Apostle Paul says this in Corinthians, when our hearts shall turn toward the Lord. The veil which speaks of the old covenant mindset will be taken away. Which things are done away in Christ? 
So there has to be a turning of the corner. I also think that you could look at this, the dung gate, as turning away from all the crap in your life. Which way are you headed today? You know, we're coming probably to the end of the year, maybe even th this may be aired somewhere towards no doubt the end of the year. And you might ask yourself as you begin to take, you know, you begin to assess some of the things that you've experienced this year, and you ask yourself the question, am I returning to repetitive behavior that keeps on leading me back to the crap in my life, or am I turning the corner to go towards the King's fountain? Now I'd like to think we're turning a corner. Now, I realize there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on in our nation right now. But see, the kingdom of God survives and thrives no matter what environment is in. Remember, this setting of Reformation was right in the midst of Babylonian captivity, right in the midst of a heathen king, and God was giving them some instruction to arise and build. I believe that we must begin to arise and build. That's what Nehemiah said, arise, let us build. We must build family, we must build relationships, we must build the local church, we must build each other up in our most holy faith. I think it's time to stop tearing each other down. I think we must beat our swords and weapons into plowshares. I think it is, you know, I, I don't want to get into political things, but I think it is tragic when believers literally unfriend each other and won't talk to each other over their different views of opinion. And what we've done is allow the enemy to pit us against each other until the point where there's division and divisiveness even in the kingdom of God. But I believe we need to turn the corner. I believe we need to put all the crap behind us. That's the only way I know how to say it. I could use the Hebrew word here, dung, or what is the Greek word, skobolum. But the issue is, I believe it's time to turn the corner and get our focus on the gate of the fountain. I think sometimes it's good that we explore the ruins before the work of construction can begin, because if we don't realize what got us into the problem, we will repeat it all over again. Uh, we must take a look at this. Uh, we must. Uh, let me just read something from my notes. I said, sometimes the ruins must be explored before the work of reconstruction can begin. We must take a look at what got us into the captivity to start out with before we can move forward and not repeat the same mistakes. Sometimes God allows us to reap what we sow to let us see what we must avoid from here on out. And I think sometimes, certainly, you can learn by your mistakes. I, I, you know, I, I have in the last year or so studied a lot of things about church history, church function. I, as a matter of fact, I was thinking even during the Thanksgiving season that we just passed a few weeks ago, how the pilgrims came over and landed in, in Plymouth Rock, but they came away from the old country to get away from a state-mandated religion. They came to be able to worship freely. And they came here, and in the midst of a pandemic, believe it or not, when I believe it was 70-some percent of the people who came over on that ship died of a pandemic, and many of the Indians were killed by a pandemic in the midst of that particular season. And the very first Thanksgiving was when the Indians and the pilgrims 
came together, they ceased killing each other, and they begin to be thankful and celebrate the harvest. I think it's time to beat our swords and weapons into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Now that doesn't mean I don't think you need to engage in the policies, but I think when we attack personalities, in other words, there are things that I stand for by the Word of God that is not divided by political party. It's what the Kingdom of God stands for. And no matter who is in the White House, we must begin to follow the directives of the Word of God and support that. Here's the bottom line, what you don't support goes away. I've said that financially about this television program, your local church, your baseball team, the news media, the political parties, the ideologies, what you don't support goes away. And the reality of it is a lot of stuff is ratings driven, and I've just, for one thing, just begun to not support the things that I don't believe in. Here's what the Word of God declares. He said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And I was asking the Lord one time, I said, how do you reprove the unfruitful works of darkness? He said, it's in that verse. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, have no fellowship with it. In other words, if you don't like something, don't support it, because there must be something that supports it or it would go away. And so I believe as believers begin to not support the things that are not godly, I literally have cut uh, the, the cord to uh, a lot of, well, for, to, to my uh, television service because I got tired of the agendas that were coming from sometimes Hollywood. Now, it doesn't mean I don't watch television because I've, I've, I've found that you can watch, uh, find stuff like on uh, your, uh, your uh, streaming device where you can choose what you watch. I'm not telling you to cut your cable because there is stuff you can watch, but you can turn the channel. See, you, you have a choice, and I think that that's one of the powerful things about freedom is you get to choose. But I, I, you know, I just refuse to continue to put in my spirit the things that are not flowing from the king's fountain and from the, the, uh, and from the king's pool that we're headed to. I, I want to turn the corner, and I want to change the way I think about some things. And so, you know, uh, what happens is, is when you don't support it, it goes away. And what you're going to find is that there's there's going to be some things that will shift as you stop, even as believers stop supporting the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, if you do cut the cable, uh, you can still watch me on YouTube. Matter of fact, it's on demand. You can also download the app to the Impact Television Network, or you can download the app to GEB America and watch us on demand on your streaming device. But turn the channel and feed on something that's positive and feed on something that's going to begin to change the way you think. Turn from, but turn toward. It's time to turn the corner is what I'm saying in this session. It's time to head towards the gate of the fountain and move away from the dung gate and from, uh, you know, from, from the crap that's in your life or from the religious crap. And just to read it from my notes, I said, my first thought is having turned the corner, have you turned from the crap in your life? Have you turned from legalism? Remember the Apostle Paul said, I counted all his dung, all of his religious upbringing and learning is dung. You're either headed towards the dragon well or the dung gate, or you are headed towards the fountain gate or the king's pool. <coughs> now, the next thing I want you to see, excuse me, <coughs> 
is upon coming to the gate of the fountain, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. The fountain gate in, in chapter number uh, 3, let me just bring that up a moment here, and uh, let me bring this up in my notes. And, and uh, in chapter 3 it says, But the gate of the fountain, this is uh, chapter 3, Nehemiah, gate, uh, chapter 3, verse number 15, said, But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalon. These names are important. I'm going to give you their meanings in a moment. The son of Koheza, the ruler of part of Mizpah, he built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof and locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. Now there's a couple things I want you to see. Number one is it was built by Shalon and it was uh, in, uh, and the son of Kohosa. Now the word Shalon means, let me look at my notes here, it means they spoiled them, or he spoiled the lodging place. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is that this gate is built by the one who has spoiled principalities and powers. I didn't note this until I started studying this, but even the valley gate which I spoke of months ago uh, the valley gate was built by Hanan. His name means grace. And I just thought I'd add this in because I didn't have that in that segment, but grace always builds in the valley. Sometimes when you're in the valley, it's the place that He restores your soul. It's where there's a turnabout. But I want you to see that, first of all, this name Shalon, if that's how you pronounce it, means they spoiled them. He spoiled principalities and powers, and He spoiled their lodging place. He took the habitation of principalities away. I think sometimes that's what we need to do in our lives is take away the lodging place of principalities and powers, and principalities and powers are not always demonic spirits. They are principles and concepts and ideas that lift themselves against the knowledge of God. He was also the son of Kolhosa, and Kolhosa means the all-seeing one. So here we have the guy who built the wall, or you know, the, I'm sorry, who built this gate, his name means the one who spoils uh, them and the one who spoiled the habitation, and he is the son of the all-seeing one. I don't know if you see this or not, but Jesus is the one who spoiled principalities and powers, and he is the son of the all-seeing one, and he was the ruler of Mizpah which means the watchtower. Now we're going to see this word watchtower used again as we study a little further, because we're going to read from the book of Habakkuk where he stands upon the watchtower and declares the vision is for an appointed time. But what we will find is when we compare Habakkuk with Hebrews, that the vision in Habakkuk, which was for an appointed time, and though it tarry, wait for it, when you get to the book of Hebrews, that vision says, though it tarry, wait for him. So the it becomes a him, and in that same context he says, for the just will live by faith. And he says that from the watchtower. I believe that what is being said here is that the one who built this gate, his name means the one who spoiled principalities and powers, he's the son of the all-seeing one, and he's the ruler of the tower. 
And from the tower, he declares, you need to have a vision. And the vision you need to have is you need to have a vision of the Son, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as I begin to look into some of these things, now let me just uh, come back again for a moment and show you this, that when he came into the city again, he turned the corner. When he turned the corner, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. Now, I don't know if I've got the time to really get into this uh, in this segment, but I'm going to start and then we'll just continue on in the next place. There was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1 through 5 says, and I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. It says, if you then be risen, have been raised, if, if then, or uh, Woos translation says, in view of the fact, therefore, not an if. It's not a question. He's talking to believers here. Since then, you've been risen with Christ. Since you've been raised, another translation says, you have been raised with Christ to a new life thus sharing His resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now remember, there's a staircase that comes down from the King's, uh, from the king's gate. In other words, this is a place of ascent. It's where you seek the above realm. It's where you change your direction from the earthly to the heavenly from the carnal to the spiritual, from the earthbound mentality of understanding what's going on in the realm of dust at the dragon well, to lifting your head to understanding what's happening in the realm of the heavens. If ever there's a day when we need to hear God say some things to us from the heavens, it's in this hour. And I believe, you know, uh, uh, that that we can put our focus on that, and we can we can put our focus on the ascent by which we go up. You know, in in one of the scriptures, there's a place I forget exactly the place, but there are there are there are six steps to the throne, and the six steps to the throne that he talks about are crucified, died, buried, quickened, raised, and seated. Jesus was crucified, He died, He was buried, He is raised, and He was seated, or He's seated at six. But, but, but if you go into the Pauline epistles, you will find out that not only was He crucified, I was crucified with Christ. I died with Him. I was buried with Him. I was quickened with Him. I was raised with Him and I'm right now seated with Him. That's the ascent we must begin to take as we come, uh, you know, as we come to the secret place. I think the, the Song of Solomon declares it like this. He said, He brought me to the secret place of the stairs. And up until then it was the little foxes that had spoiled the vine. God is bringing, I believe, the church to a corner that's turning, and we're beginning to find our ascent to the King's throne. And we're beginning to find our ascent by the staircase that's built there. And this staircase, to every staircase, there is a riser and then a step, a riser and then a step, a riser and then a step. And you know, I, I probably uh, don't have time to really get into this, but I'll say this, and like I said, we've got plenty of time in the next segment to pick this up. But most of the American church somewhere 
not just the American the church all over the world has come to what I believe they think is a wall. And they've tried to run through a troop and leap over the wall. They've tried to smear the wall with oil and rebuke the wall. They feel like they've come up and hit a dead wall. A wall seems like nothing is happening. People are, re- are, are hitting that place spiritually where they've, they've come to what they think is a wall. And it's uh, it's, 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 it, it, it seems to, it, as if there's no way over this wall, and you can't climb over it, you can't shout it down, you can't anoint it with oil, you can't run around it and, and, and march around it seven times. And in my own relationship with God, I came to this wall in my own relationship where it seemed like I'd come to the end of something. And in my utter frustration, the Lord said, walk back up to the wall. I'm talking about spiritually. If you could just picture this in your mind. He said, just pull up on the wall, look up over the wall. And as I Pulled, there was glory for as far as I could see. And the Lord said to me, it's not a wall at all. You've not come to a wall. You've come to the riser of a step. You've come to the end of one realm and one dimension, and it's time to turn the corner and ascend the secret place of the stairs, because what God is doing is giving us a high calling. It's a calling. It's an upward call. It's a heavenly calling. And He's saying, You've come to the end of one realm. Don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck in that place where you are in that dimension where you don't have, it seems like, any fulfillment in your life. At that point, God is saying, come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. It is in that ascent that the little foxes stop spoiling the vines. I believe if there's ever been any call of God in this season of Reformation that I'm talking about, it is for the church to begin to come up higher. Arise, let us build. Let us ascend the staircase of the steps to the palace and the steps to the throne of the King. Let us begin to ascent to the truth that I was crucified with Christ. I was buried with Him. I died with Him. I was quickened with Him. I'm raised with Him, and I'm right now seated with Him in the heavenly places. That's the ascent by which we must go up. I believe when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon, she said, the half has never been told. When I saw the sitting of your servants and the ascent by which they went up, there was no more spirit left in me. And I think the half that was never told is the half that's told in the New Covenant that Jesus Christ is greater than Solomon, and that when you see the ascent by which He went up, He's ascended, and He's seated at the right hand of God, and He ever lives to make intercession for us. Can we ascend? Can we turn the corner? Can we move towards Reformation? I believe we can, and I'm calling us to that right now. We're just about ready to run out of time on this segment, and uh, I want to just encourage you. Like I said a few moments ago, what you don't support goes away. We are about to negotiate airtime, and we need to decide which stations we're going to use, what's working, what's not. So call us or send us an email. Tell us where you're watching from if you'd like to help support this. We do need your help. It takes a lot of money to put uh, all the stuff we do on television. You can do that by going to my website, and you give there via PayPal. You can sign up to become a monthly partner. You can call the number that'll come on the screen. If no one answers, please leave a message, and they'll get back to you. Or you can send a check or a money order to the address on the screen, and we will deeply appreciate it. Thank you for your help. God bless. Tune in again next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.